Welcome to Ngahiri Talks, the show where we talk about, nah, we don't even know yet. We're just trying to figure it out, but come along for the journey. This is season one, the pre-season. Kia ora, kia ora, kia ora everybody. Welcome back to Ngahere Talks. I think we're up to something like episode six. Mm. Can't believe it. Six episodes Exciting. in a row every Monday um, is pretty cool. And today I have a good friend of mine, someone I've known for quite a few years now, um, someone who I enjoy lots of laughs, uh, a little bit of tears actually, and every now and then maybe even a conflicting argument. Yeah. Uh, the man himself who got to hang out with Prince Charles just this week. <laughs> Um, and show off the incredible, incredible mahi he's been doing. Forever Mr. Now. Rui Ping, kia ora Rui. Kia ora everyone, uh, welcome to Nahiri Talks. I want to invite <laughs> you guys to, uh, on my panel I've got. <laughs> follow through bro, follow through. With the Manawa Uri, and we're going to talk about uh, how social entrepreneurs uh, impact the world. And so I'm going to invite Manawa Uri as our first panellist. One grass mulcher at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to do that with plastic. Oh, welcome bro, it's choice to have you here. Um, Very excited to be here. Rui is the founder and what is your title? Co-founder at Critical. Co-founder at Critical yeah. and he pretty much just does does everything. And we go, we'll get into uh, <laughs> what Critical is and does and some of your awesome highlights real soon. But just to get to know you a little bit, where are you originally from? Where's your whānau from? What's your whakapapa? Um, so, we, uh, so I'm half Manchurian Chinese and half Han Chinese and the Manchurians I found a few years ago were the royal uh, blood to the Qing dynasty. He so likes telling that part. I love telling that part. <laughs> That's it. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, but we were we were Chinese immigrants uh, to New Zealand, and I we came here in 1995, so I would have been five years old. Um, and yeah, like I think yeah, so Chinese immigrants into New Zealand. Awesome, it's and good to have you here, bro. Mean, um, what's your favorite food? Chinese, hands down. Any <laughs> Chinese, all sorts of like Chinese. European Chinese. Nah, those are lame. Like duck feet and stuff like that. I'm into that. When yeah. I was a kid, I used to have that. I haven't had it for a long time. Yeah, I can't eat. Chicken face, though, that's too much for me. <laughs> 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 okay, who's your favourite like band or musician? Uh, I've been rocking a lot to Leon Bridges lately mm. and Queen as well. Yeah, so I think since that movie Queen. came out, uh, yeah, I, I really resonate with the story of that band, so I like the music. Yeah, mm. beautiful. Favourite movie? All-time favourite movie? Interstellar. Oh, that's I love, a good I one, love eh? exploration, exploring the unknown um, and... Space fearing citizens sort of like yeah, humanity. That's, that's that stuff that excites me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool movie too. Awesome. And what do you like to do to relax, to chill out, to kick back? Don't really. We got three kids under five. So really if it's not uh work at critical, it's um making sure Haley's happy and take the kids to the park, you know, do all stuff that they like to do. So not a lot of downtime. Pre husband and father days, what what was it back then? Or I used to um I did a lot of painting. A lot of um, you know oil painting, and I, I just I love dreaming and making stuff. So build stuff, little drones and three D printers, and yeah. trying to invent invent stuff. That's probably that's probably the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. that's awesome. I feel like I get to know people so much more just through those little questions. Yeah, awesome. But sorry, ladies, he's already taken. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like long walks on the beach with that <laughs> oil painting? <laughs> no. <laughs> Awesome. So Rui and I met in law what was it, Rui? Like two thousand and twelve or thirteen? Yeah. Twelve, maybe twelve, yeah. Do you remember those early days or what they were like? Do you want to share? Oh we were a couple of um, you know, bright eyed, idealistic twin year olds who didn't know what we were doing and to an extent we still are, but just thirty. <laughs> um and it was it was kind of like 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like we had this thing that we wanted to do, and I couldn't find a place that I wanted to work for, and so it was right about that same time. Andy, our first sort of the guy that I started critical with, one of the early co-founders, he um he was like, well, why don't we just create the thing that we want to be ourselves? Um, yeah, I, I just just a whole bunch of I don't know. I think trying to like prove something yeah, <laughs> in the twenties, yeah. like kind of you take I took myself definitely so was trying to prove something back then. So serious, I took myself so seriously, and I look back and I'm like, fuck, you know about anything? <laughs> 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 I remember that being my twenties. Yeah, and and lucky enough to find a group of friends who had similar values and did a bunch of crazy stuff living in community homes. I remember that, you know, that actually helped with my formation. Mm. So, yeah, and that. so back back then you were living, we still are living in Mount Ross School. <coughs> yeah. Shout out to Mount Ross School. Yeah. Um, and I was working for Auckland Council, but yeah. at Ross School Youth Zone. Yeah. Um, and we had just established uh, the Ross School Coffee Project, which was yeah. a youth training cafe based yeah. in. And Roscoe Youth Zone and some of your good friends were running that. Yeah, I think yeah. that, and th- Paul, I think that's uh, how we Rowan. got connected through yeah. through Paul and Rowan, and then and then yeah. you guys came along, and then what happened? Those those kind of early yeah. days at Rise. Oh, oh man, it's, it's such a long time ago. I think um, we we had so many hypotheses or theories and what we wanted to do with Critical. We had no idea, but we were sort of around. How do we use technology to decentralize? Uh, how do we use technology to empower people to run their own businesses? How do we use technology to decentralized manufacturing so people can design and build their own homes and so did a thesis on gentrification and how do we instead of designing and making decisions for people uh, build tools for people to empower themselves <coughs> there was a whole bunch of trial and error in that sort of a place eh? so i remember you know yeah, like having a 3d printer set up in the youth, youth zone and have young fellas sort of come through but it was very experimental and probably mm. from all all of my 20s i knew exactly what i didn't wanted to do um but also the experience was really worthwhile too um yeah, I remember Manawa as well. Like you, you were just like really encouraging. Like here's here's these bunch of guys, um, and you were like throwing opportunities our way and connecting us to other people. So we we appreciate that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I remember, I remember being fascinated by three D printing, which oh, yeah. is what you guys were all about at that stage. And how you were like, you know, your main thing was three D printing, and you had built your own th- printed and built your own three D printer as well. I think which was quite fascinating, and so it was. Um, it was still quite mind-boggling at that stage what yeah. 3D printing was like. And one yeah. of the things that I, managing the youth centre, was, was struggling with was the fact that kids used to break the chairs all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and when I found out that these like really solid plastic chairs that might have had a broken leg or whatever were just getting thrown away at the yeah. dump, I remember yeah. being like, oh, that seems like such a waste. Like, yeah. surely there's something we could do here. Um, and I do remember thinking, oh, maybe they could turn it into something they could put through the 3D printer. Mm. It's yeah. real funny, eh? The things that you think are possible. Yeah, we had a we uh, we had a <laughs> we had a grass mulcher. <laughs> Maybe we <laughs> we just take the chair and feed it through the grass mulcher. <laughs> <laughs> These are some oh hard case man. things back then, eh? Oh, I know. Um, and then but you guys ended up at Wesley Intermediate School. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Taking over the the workshop yeah. in there and doing some pretty amazing things with the students. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah, man, the early days. Eh? It was we, yeah. we were working out of a spare room in our home. And we were working on a, like a community co-design project at the time. And the associate principal, Lou Reddy, was there and he sort of saw, he, he understood what we were trying to do. And they had this workshop that was outdated since the 1960s or something, or 70s. Um, and we needed a space. So basically they gave us a space for free in exchange. We brought in new technology, we built CNC machines and brought in all this design activity. Yeah, yeah. And when Andy was around, he helped sort of reform their design and technology curriculum that they now run independently. So... 
Yeah, it was it was all pretty crazy. I mean, I look back, I think, man, all these series of things that happened to me, probably all I attribute to both privilege and luck, you know. Mm. So and hard work, bro. And hard work, yeah. You've worked really hard. You've worked really hard. Um, and so that stage, Andy, and it's the same Andy that's here with us yeah. in Ahere, yeah. was teaching and also helping with Critical. Yeah. Um, and then you guys, what was your first big partnership? Was Fonterra? Yeah, we. It was. It was about. Th- three or maybe over three years now but we Fonterra approached us with a problem to solve because we were running design service and we we're trying to solve people's problems in that mm. sense and they, they came to us and they were like, we got milk bottles and we want you to turn it into a 3d printing filament and we're like yeah that's a really bad idea it's too niche you know for the wrong reason so we thought you want to do this other thing instead which is to turn it into a material that we can design and make all sorts of stuff out of it and that process didn't quite exist at the time we were starting out so um, and we quickly realized that if we were not to do that, we have to, we needed like 200 grand to buy commercial machines. Mm. Couldn't fit in the small school workshop and we didn't have the money, probably was the more big reason. So we built the machines ourselves. We found a guy making kits and then a combination of Google and stuff, we built the CNC ourselves and built the oven and bootstrapped. The Is it still called there. the Bishop? It's still called the Bishop, yeah. named after the sustainability manager, Nick Bishop. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, carry on. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. Yeah, I, and I think I think, and they were the first sort of. We, we didn't really know what we were doing at the time too, but they were the first um, model or the first customer that we did the model where we took their waste and then we sold it back to them in new products. Mm. And that was probably about the first realization that wow, this is a huge opportunity. And if our our sort of co at Critical is is, a, is around, we want to end plastic pollution beginning the 250,000 New Zealand creates and we want to create employment, we realised very quickly that we weren't going to be able to do that and create that scale of impact by running design services mm. and we had to go for a product-based sort of a journey and that actually, that actually took a few more years to actually be okay with that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think from that first experience, um, we realised that we need to focus on circular economy and turning plastics and, and double down on that. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. That would have been quite a... Pivotal moment, eh? Yeah. In your business, like, did you said earlier that originally you were looking at how you can use technology to yeah. enable people to empower themselves and stuff. Does yeah. that still stand today? Definitely, it's, it stands like it probably stands as a as a method as opposed to a mission. Yeah, cool. So like the method is always there, and and we learn that the hard way. I mean, even with the social and environmental story and stuff, like. We were getting, we were, and in the early days, we were trying to sell what we were trying to do by our social mission. Hey, we're here to do this, we're here to do this. And we get people come to us and go, oh, I'm so glad that, you know, someone, finally someone in the universe is doing this and they pat us on the back and not buy yeah, our products. Yeah, good luck, see you later. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I think very painfully, slowly, we realized that actually the technology mission and all that kind of stuff, it's kind of like the, what's the word? That it's like, if it was like a symphony, it, it would be the, 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 the bass note. You know, mm. not the not the not the keynotes, and it's the bonus sort of yeah. thing. Um, and we actually need to actually begin to actually understand this when you're trying to create a social enterprise. There's effectively three different stakeholders or two different stakeholders. Like, who is your customer, and how do you want to impact them, just com- on a commercial basis? And then there's like the who are the people that you want to serve and bring on, mm. and how do you impact them? But the story you tell as a business is always front and center. What is the business proposition, like, can your product stand well without the social story and mm. the environmental story? Nice. That's what we learned very painfully, slowly. <laughs> the evolution of an entrepreneur and a business owner, eh? Yeah, um, yeah. Th- and how yeah. to flip from your own kind of mission um, and mandate into serving your customers yeah. and putting that 
yeah. that right at the front. Yeah, I, th- I think, and I think I in my earlier twenties, I think I used to really struggle with social impact and commercial success, and I used to think if I commercially succeeded, I was a sellout. Mm. And I actually had a few really good mentors that drilled that out of me, and they were going. Actually, Pat Sneedon was one of them. He he was saying to me, "You know what, Rory? Like, don't ever let anyone fucking tell you that um, your commercial desires means you're selling out. If anything else, is your long term commitment to mm. your social mission." And that was one. I remember that's quite a pivotal moment, you know, in terms of. And we go, cool, cool. Let's let's make this into a billion dollar company and yeah, yeah, and do cool stuff with the profits. Tell us about that time, Rui, <coughs> that you got um, intermediate school students to build coffins. Oh man, I don't want to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want to tell the good version. Yeah, I, I think we, uh, we were trying to find what that product was. We we just we just had no idea what we were doing. Like, and a problem, yeah, and so we. You know, we were playing with so many business models, and one of them was, can we d- design and develop? So we had this lady approach us who wants to innovate new <laughs> funeral products, and we ended up designing this, like, really cocoon-shaped oven. I mean, sorry, coffin. It was um, really cool, bro. Oh, awesome. It um, was a cool design. Yeah, and, and then, you know, getting it sort of CNC'd and then made and stuff. And because we were there at a school and we had a model where the kids get to make their own coffins, or make their own products, <laughs> the, the kids, and we didn't have enough hands. <laughs> We didn't have enough hands. It was more like a, hey, we, we kind of need your help sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, this tiny little bit of child labour. Just a little bit, eh? It's all for the, the good purpose of education, though. So. <laughs> um, they but did, that, a, they that did was a bad a job. We had to go back and fix them. That was a really cool product. Did they sell well, do you know? We sold 10. And um, I think what I learned was it takes so long and so much money and resources to make something fairly simple. I mean, the coffin was, and the coffin wasn't simple. Yeah, yeah. And we needed to sort of really invest our R and D into doing it well. So that's that's probably one of the lessons that I've learned about if you're if you're running a company, you have to focus. You have to focus on that one thing mm. really obsessively. And we didn't at that time. So we had a whole bunch of stuff that we were trialing, and you know, none of them really took off. Yeah, yeah. But hey, that's the journey, eh? Oh, definitely. That's what it's like. And so. We're at the point now where, so you worked with Fonterra, you did the coffins. They were at this kind of the same time, eh? Yeah, we ditched the coffins because it wasn't, in the end, wasn't sort of core to our our, our focus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, th- I, th- I remember, um, it was either Vincent van Gogh or um, he did a study of all of the different artists, you know, his contemporaries at the time. And he, he studied their brushstrokes and compositions and he actually mm. realised that the art is in the elimination, like the art is not in the continual amounting mm. of colours and stuff is actually, it's the hard, the work that is the hardest to copy are the works that are the most refined and the most simple. Yeah, and yeah, so the yeah. art is in the elimination. And so in I the, f- like, restraint, eh? Don't yeah. overdo it. Don't yeah. overcook it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big lesson, you know, I think. Any probably good entrepreneur will tell you that. Like, it's, it's focus. Focus yeah, on what's going to yeah. get you there faster. So how did you then end up moving into furniture? Um, I, th- I think we never really was, we never really, f- furniture's never been the thing, but it was it was like an easy one to show people this is what we can do. Mm. So you, d- you designed some pretty cool products in there though. Yeah, yeah. It, well, furniture was, was kind of the easy, but the thing, and it was what the what Fonterra was looking for in terms of a brief. Yeah. So we were responding to the needs of our customers and it was sort of one thing that got, got us onto that. Um, but yeah, but the furniture was trying to understand what is appropriate for a particular customer and how do we respond to that. Yeah, and um, the cool thing is like you had furniture <coughs> now with Fonterra, with Auckland Council, yeah. with uh, Grid, at Grid Auckland, yeah. with 
um, HLC. So yeah. it's in a few different places, eh? Yeah. Are you yeah. still doing furniture? Um, so we, so our, our focus of Critical is probably the, like the focus is the plastics product stewardship. Mm, cool. So it can be furniture if it's appropriate, or it can be you know anything like industrial. It can be retail products, or even it can be consumer-facing technology. Yeah, yeah. And so furniture often is like maybe a low-hanging fruit way of trying to win a customer. Mm. Oh, we don't really know what to do. We don't fully understand your model. Well, here, let's take a few tons of waste and turn it into some products that you can tangibly see and use. And then after that, goes, well, what can we do next sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Choice. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. And then I think after this, we're going to talk about like what's been happening in 2019 cool. and kind of where you see the future of yeah, um, awesome. Kaitiaki Tanga that you guys are, are leading out. So quick break yeah. and we'll be back real soon. Nice. Looking for a cool space to work or a legit venue for your next event? Everything you need is here at Te Hao Monaco. Located in the heart of Monaco City, a hop, skip and a jump from the Monaco bus and train station. We've got super fast Wi-Fi, coffee machine, great people and an awesome vibe. Book online at www.teha.nz. Let's go to Teha or Monaco. Good stuff. I wish you guys could have seen okay. Rui dancing through that. <laughs> That uh, that little bit of reggae beat there going on. <laughs> Let's go. So, Rui, 2019. 2019. Um, it's been a how long journey now? When did you first um, first fresh, fresh, fresh? When I, did you first start critical? I, I probably split critical into two major life cycles or seasons. One is sort of it began in 2013, and between 2013 to 2015, or maybe between 2013 to 2016, it was really just us trying to find our feet and trying to figure it out. So there's like a second coming, a second birth, which really began at 2016, 2017, yeah. which is what we knew, this is what we knew that we we're gonna do. Um, so I, yeah, so 2013 is where we started playing with the idea, 2017 is probably when we got really serious. Yeah. So all up, you're now on year number six. Yeah, yeah, yeah year number six. Awesome yeah. bro, and it's been a pretty big year for you guys, hey? Yeah, it's What's been a, a few of your highlights this year? Oh man. Um, it's quite a few, I think. I th um, so we managed to, um, so we there was quite a cool project we did with the warehouse group, turning 50,000 plastic bags into like retail fixtures and products for the 20 Torpedo 7 launch, uh, Torpedo 7 sort of launch. And the others, probably just like the, the, the amount of interest that we're getting is it's above what we can solve for right now. Mm. Um, and then, you know, in working actually Fonterra again, a really exciting project in Terapa, and the scalable implications of that is, is huge. Awesome. Um, yeah, I managed to, I think we, we, um, we were sort of in the early stages working at BNZ on creating a circular economy model. Um, yeah, probably there's a few others. I, I need my computer to actually refresh me. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome, bro. That's but really no, cool. Like, yeah, so I, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's been a really cool year for us um, in terms of traction mm. and what we want to do. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um, you've also started doing um, one of the newer technologies you've brought in is the like molding, is that right? Yeah. Uh, so, because you started doing CNC cutting, and yeah, now you're—is yeah. it plastic molding or? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Sorry, a, it's I a don't real, know the terms. It's, <laughs> right. it's a real like it's a, it's quite a real specific process of plastic. It's not injection molding, mm. and it sort of means for us like it gives us the ability to use all sorts of hard to recycle waste, um, and it leaves a really iconic look. You know, those little splashy color patterns mm. and stuff. 
So we've been working really hard in the last two years to refine that technique and get that to scale. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not hard to do when you, you can, anyone can almost do it in their little ovens and stuff, but the scale is incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, so I, I guess that's, you know, that's the heat and pressure, really. Just yeah, yeah. Do you want to do a little plug for your pawaka, for your box? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm careful of that because I'm like, <laughs> if we sell too many, I can't produce <laughs> on time. <laughs> but um, we made this... Um, we made this, so we got we, we, we were, so we got this product called the Critical Powaka, and it's um, keep everything you love using the thing you hate, plastic straws, um, and so it's each one is made from one thousand three hundred and fifty um, sort of sort of straws. Like they're they're not drinking straws, but we can do it that way. But they're mm. more like underground plastic cable straws, um, and it looks like a bit of a pastel look and a sort of mm. rainbow thing. So we've been we've been testing that that as a product to see how people respond and the feedback from that will actually help us lead to the design and development of new products that we sell directly to consumer. Mm. Yeah, awesome. That's cool, man. Can't wait to get our hands on some of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cool. And then um, and then you tried something, like I saw something, I haven't talked to you about this, but I saw something pretty exciting where you use plastic fishing nets mm. um, in a collaborative um, project to create a taonga for a pretty special person yeah you, can you talk us through that process yeah we can um so it's um it's one of it's so it's it's a project that began with um so we're in the middle of a discussion or corridor with working with sanfords the fishing company mm. and um of turning ocean plastics into valuable products using our model and we were playing around and testing with their fishing nets and while we were doing some sort of sample testing we realized that when you when, when there's a unique way of like kind of like aligning it in our process so that the end result of fishing there actually looks like ponamu. Mm. And so the, so the stuff just started firing in our neurons in our brain and we realised, man, like the story of uh, recycled plastic, of like ocean plastics into ponamu, um, it's a, that, there's something yeah. huge in that sort of space. So um, for the pr- for Prince Charles visit, we had um, sort of, we had, I was, oh, there's two stories I can probably tell you, but like, we had this really amazing Colombian sort of, but traditionally trained, moldy trained um, chief carver who runs mm-hmm. um, Auto Negro ju- um, jewelry sort of thing, and he carved. We gave him some samples, and he just carved these amazing. Um, one of the things he carved was the Toki Potangata, which is the moldy axe, and mm. and um, and the, the way it turned out was amazing. And what he loved about that material was that the behind it, underneath it, as you shave it away, there were parts of the fishing nets that didn't melt properly. Mm. And so you, what you ended up getting, he was saying that this is alive, this thing is alive, and it's honest to what it is. Mm. And actually was an accident, you know, we didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. But it's something that we're thinking about actually featuring now in our products. Yeah, yeah. So we're in the early stages of potential partnership with him around how do we get a product like Taonga developed and designed to scale. Mm. Um, but we're going to do it right. So, you know, the night before... This is really funny. The night before we um, were Prince Charles, we realised we had to bless it. Well, we knew we, knew we had to bless the Tonga, and he mm. finished at 12 in, in the morning. This is the night before. Yeah. So we needed someone to co-bless it. So I called up my mate Steve Hutana, and he brought his mate Tai Harawira, and they met us so met us in Okahu Bay with the permission of Nati Fatua to do this blessing. So we were out until 2.30 in the morning yeah. with, um, you know, like with, with the, these two sort of matuas blessing the thing. We were knee deep in the water, putting it underwater and oh, stuff. Awesome. And it was both a real beautiful experience. Um, yeah, bang in the middle of the night, massive winds and rain smashing into <laughs> our faces, holding the poling. Yeah, because po- it was a crazy, it was a storm that night, yeah. eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then going in, dipping it in That's the water. That's a true blessing, bro. Oh, you got man. the blessing of tafiri mati and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it's it's quite it's exciting for us. My business partner is Maori, and he's um. 
he's sort of like he's he's put one of those guys and his father is one of those guys where they respect tradition but they're sort of quite forefront in their thinking in terms of moving yeah, bringing tradition forward so um yeah it's so th- it's you know all of all of the taonga is made from untraditional elements so there was quite a unique blessing mm. where like you know it wasn't it was a man-made object but we had to agitate the cells this is what the mato was saying you had to agitate the cells because the kopapa was really valuable mm. um yeah and it was called they, they named it Te Tautoko, which is to agree and to give Prince Charles the ability to stand up and agree upon the crucial environmental issues we have today. Yeah, mm. so cool, bro. Um, and if you want to have a look at it, there's there's some photos on your Facebook page, yeah, eh, we'll or your Instagram, and yeah. and stuff like that. So critical with a full stop at the end. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, what was it like anyway? Meeting um, Prince Charles, hosting him, yeah. showing him what you were doing, and how did he respond? Yeah, Prince Charles is probably um hoping Ping was saying this. He's just probably just a really um relaxed old man who's got a really great sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. Um we fully overprepared. I, you know, practice a mihi um and so many times and when I actually gave the mihi, he was I was expecting him and his entourage to stand maybe 5 meters away from me. Yeah, yeah. But he was maybe about a meter away from me as I welcomed him. So I was projecting right into his <laughs> face. <laughs> <laughs> and then halfway through I realised Oh man I think I'm yelling at his face So I better tone it down <laughs> So halfway through I just changed the mihi And we'll just you know, start a, just a real casual conversation Yeah, yeah. Um, so the tour was kind of split <laughs> Such an ear game The tour was sort of split in two parts One was a walkthrough where we set up Waste and our products in front of it outside mm-hmm. And the other part was Um they go inside and he gets to make one of his own critical products using one of our molds. Mm-hmm. And last was the presentation of um, Te Tautuko. Um, and so it was quite cool. Like he walked through the, the first half and he was looking through an animal taking him through the waist. And at one point he was like, oh, I guess I, I must, I, I probably need to be recycled soon, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to laugh or, but I was yeah, like, oh, sure yeah. thing. Sort of saying, well, what would you like to become? Which one of the products do you want to turn into? <laughs> And um, and my other highlight out of so many was um, he was inside making sort of one of our products, and I was like, "Bro, you you pretty good at this, eh? Have you done this before?" Um, and he cracked up, and I was like, "Hey, look, man, if you if you want a job, hey, man, this is this, you don't have to ask. Is here one for you?" <laughs> <laughs> so when does he start? <laughs> Hopefully next week. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually call him, bro? I can't remember, but he was pretty just casual. Say, but I think casual, yeah, 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 casual enough. I think for me to just go, hey, bro, if you want a job? Just <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Did you gauge anything from him about what he thought about your approach to using plastic? Yeah, he was very intrigued. I mean, I think the uh, Prince Charles has been a long-standing sustainability advocate yeah, for quite a while, so he under he he got it. He understood it. But we got we had some really sort of cool. Um, you know, like we had, we had some really cool like people from his team who emailed us and texted us and just saying, "Hey, look, out of you know, like this was this is definitely one of his highlights, sort of thing mm. in terms of the time that he spent." So we're we're pretty stoked about that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because I was wondering myself, I was like, I wonder if he's seen stuff like this before, or if yeah. it, if it's like something new to him and yeah, intriguing, yeah. or is he just like, yeah, whatever, run of the mill. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I. I love to say that this was his first, but I just don't know. But yeah, he, no. he was very excited and he was very happy. So we're, we're happy about that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So what does the future look like for Critical um, at this stage, Rui? Yeah, um, I'm, so I'm, I'm deeply ambitious. So um, like Critical will become the billion dollar brand that it is. Um, you know, it's um, you know, just like when you're carving, you, a 
it's it's in there. You mm. know, like it's in there. You got to see it. You got to bring it out. And you know, and that that's not because of the money. That's because like trying to solve two hundred and fifty-two thousand tons just in New Zealand alone of waste. Mm. That's a lot. And trying to create jobs for one hundred eighty-three thousand New Zealanders. That's a lot. And so mm. the problem, the the amount of effort that's going to take, it's going to be more than a billion dollars. So I'm really ambitious about that. Um, and I want to. I guess yeah, I, I, I you know, like I, I wanna make a dent in the universe, you know. I want I want critical to make a dent in the universe for for a brand that does commercial business really well but still, you know, in touch of using all of the profits, using our yeah. profits to actually benefit people really well. Yeah. So I'm I'm heavily motivated by that. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you have any idea of how you're gonna become a billion dollar yeah, billion dollar brand? Um, like all things, things strategies will probably change, but um, we're on a good path to, um, so our current business model and our focus is B2B. Mm-hmm. So if we secure significant New Zealand brands and we continue to do deliver well, like the Fonterras, the freight logistics companies, the, the warehouse and the banks and stuff, mm. um, we'll, we'll, it should help us with a channel to export and scale. But once we sort of like, once we do that and do that really well, do the B2B really well, like I'm... I'm probably really, I, I really enjoy doing B2C. And mm. so maybe the, maybe the B2B will give us the level of momentum we do to, to do want to actually create the B2C brand products that we want to do and, and then take that out. So we definitely need to get out of New Zealand um, yeah. really quickly um, and scale probably to begin in Oz, but to look at other ways to scale globally because mm. New Zealand is so small. Um, probably just to do the B2B really well and in the background, what other investments and time we have invest into our, a few B2C products and start testing what users want and love. Um, I, I see critical, you know, maybe in, in 10, 15 years, like around there'll be critical shops and awesome. in, in critical shops there will be, you know, there will be like circular design products to technology to use, um, you know, so we'll be in different retail stores and stuff. So I'm really excited about that. That's awesome, Rui. Yeah. That's real cool. Um, one other thing, like has there been any either things that you guys have found out in your journey or things that people have brought up or shown you, but anything about the process you're doing and trying to um, eliminate plastic waste, I don't know if that's the right framing of your mission, but anything that you're doing that in turn is still contributing to the climate crisis? So we're very conscious of that. One is um, around, so in our manufacturing, like uh, in our manufacturing process is zero emission. And all of the energy we use is electricity, mm. effectively. All we use is electricity. Um, so there's that. And the other part of it is that, like, so w- within the circular economy, like, um, there are sort of three systems, a way of seeing it. One is around designing plastic waste out of out of new, so we're not using new version plastics. Mm. Second part is around um, creating products that can be repaired and last longer in the system. Mm. And the third part is around recycling. Mm. So... We're huge believers in that there needs to be solutions that use bio you know, materials that don't use virgin plastics. Second part of that is, um, yeah, like products needs to design and needs to be repaired and last longer. But where we sit is probably stages two and three where mm. it's because there's already millions and millions of tons of plastics and, and that will all forever be there. Mm. What can we do, you know, to use that and to turn that into something really meaningful? And at the end of the life cycle of our products, they bring it back to us, we'll mold it into new products too. Yeah, yeah. So, um. Yeah, so we it's and it's always a bit tricky because you know, like being being a startup and stuff, you you try you know like yeah, it's 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 you try you, you know you try and do your best with the time you have and with mm. the resources that you can to to create that impact. But I probably think about it as more of a stage thing. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. So what do you guys do with your plastic waste? Because uh, I know, like, I've been into your workshop and yeah. the CNC machine will cut, but yeah. from that comes, like, bits of dust yeah. and there's offcuts and stuff like that. Have you found yeah, a yeah. way to... So we, b- we have an extraction system where it takes it, you know, if stuff that we are cutting on the CNC, we take all the different particles, so it gets all vacuumed up into a big, um, two really big bins, mm-hmm. and then that gets used as new material for new products. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so oh, yeah. And then we just dump that. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then we dump it in front of our manual house. <laughs> Have you got forgot any products for that plastic dust yet? Yeah, we've got some. It's basically every time you you sort of like get smaller, smaller bits, the colour become more and more uniform. And so, so we've got brown. some products. <laughs> yeah, we, we might release a few limited editions of that yeah, kind of stuff cool. and see how people think. Um, but certainly, yeah. You could make plastic poo emojis with it, eh? Because yeah. that's the kind of colour that comes when you merge every colour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like grey. Sometimes <laughs> it goes grey too. So yeah. Or vomit colour. <laughs> <laughs> the vomit Who, who wants a poaka in vomit? <laughs> the vomit mix. Uh, awesome, Rui. Well, yeah. I'm going to wrap us up there. Um, it's been really, really awesome to have you here with Dang. us today. Um, yeah. I've always been a fan of, of you as a person awesome. um, and also of your critical journey. So mm. thanks for taking the time to come out today. I know you're um, a, super, a super busy, in-demand kind of <laughs> guy. Um, is there anything you want to say before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I, I think probably an acknowledgement of, you know, like I, I think success is, I, I'm a full fan believer that success is attributed to collectives, to networks. 100%. You know, even the journey you played in our journey, you know, in the early days, to you know, right now having, even you know, our wives are in it, you know, our kids are in it as much as we are. Um, to you know, the the friends who's helped us in the past to get to where we are. So, you know, I, I'm I'm a full sort of believer in that. It's, it's never about self-made, and it's always about collective success. So, I'm just grateful, and I'm su- I feel super privileged to be honest, to be able to do this too. Yeah, yeah awesome, Rui. Really. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for coming out today, bro. Um, We'll uh, talk to you again soon And see you guys next week on the next podcast Later (laughs) Tēnei te mihi nui Thanks so much for listening in We hope you enjoyed it We'd love to hear back from you So why don't you connect with us Look for us Ngahere Communities On YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn We'll see you next time on Ngahere Talks Kia pai tora